Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Parks. My name is Becky Dunlap. And this is Marissa Moravik, and we're your hosts for this weekly podcast. An evolving resource to help parks and recreation professionals raise the bar in their organizations so that they can make a positive difference in their communities. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Let's Talk Parks. This is Becky Dunlap here, and I want to thank you for joining me for another episode. This is actually the 100th episode of Let's Talk Parks. <laughs> I'm sitting here in my office like, yay, who do I celebrate with? <laughs> Will you guys celebrate with me? Like, this is cool. This is cool. I'm so, so grateful for all of you. So grateful for Marissa, who has just been amazing this year and has just like, it's been wonderful to work with her. Um, You know, a big thank you to Anthony, who just has put in a ton of time and energy at the very beginning of this year and last year and helped build it up and hype it up. Um, I'm grateful for all of the listeners who share the episodes and just like send me messages. It really means the world to me. Um, anyways, not to get too sentimental. We are on episode three of this series around building inclusive and innovative parks. And today I thought it would be really fitting to talk with Jill Moore, who is the inclusive place specialist at landscape structures. And in this episode, We talk about what it means for a playground to be truly accessible and maybe why that's not the right word to use anymore. Um, I think it's really interesting thinking about the history of the Americans with Disabilities Act and why that's really just like the tip of the iceberg when it comes to creating really inclusive parks. Um, and I think that there is still a very long way to, ways to go to make our playgrounds and parks um, more inviting and more inclusive. So for people with any types of disabilities or, you know, sensory disabilities or um, whatever it may be, I just feel like our parks have the opportunity and really the responsibility to invite people from all backgrounds, all races, all ethnicities, all abilities, and make them feel like it's their park. And that's what excites me. And that's why I wanted to do this series. So Jill is amazing. She is super smart. She is um, full of energy and life. And I just love talking with her. This was another episode that is available on YouTube as well. So at the end of this episode, we go into some examples of different parks and playgrounds. And it's one of those things that you'll you'll understand if you're just listening. But again, if you want to kind of see the actual pictures of these playgrounds, it'll help paint the full picture. So anyways, you can go over to YouTube and check that out. Or I have a link in the show notes below if you want to do that. Um, but without further ado, let me introduce you to Jill Moore. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Let's Talk Parks podcast. I am joined by Jill Moore today, who is the inclusive inclusive place specialist with landscape structures. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, of course. So I'd love to start out with just hearing more about your story and what your current role is at Landscape Structures and how you got here. Yeah. Um, so my name is Jill. I work with Landscape Structures. We are a playground manufacturer out of Delano, Minnesota, um, a fabulous place where one of the best restaurants we have in town is our gas station. Um, <laughs> nice. But I, I really do love working there because I, I just truly appreciate about how play is thought about and how we, we really talk about play in a holistic way and making sure everybody gets to be there. And uh, in my role in specific, I'm our inclusive play specialist. Um, I get to do a lot of community education and just talk about disability, play, what does it look like, how do we do this in a successful way. Uh, but I also get to really work with our product development side. Um, I've grown up with a disability. I'm a full-time wheelchair user. I've grown up with spina bifida. Um, so I'm very accustomed to, to moving differently, um, to needing different accommodations and knowing when an environment is excluding me um, and knowing when we can improve upon that of just making sure we're being intentional. Uh, but I, I got started with landscape, just complete dumb luck, which is how I accomplish a lot of things in my life. Uh, but I, we had just, I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina originally, and Charlotte had just hosted the Paralympic trials in 2016 for Rio. And um, just tried out for the Paralympics for wheelchair racing, got to do a, a bit of Team USA uh, while I was in college. And while I was there, we worked with the city of Charlotte to put on this larger than life event. It had never been done at this scale before. Um, and so we were speaking at a conference just on what was that experience like the city putting on the Paralympic trials for this time it hosted swimming, um, cycling, track and field, which had never been done. They'd always been separate events in different places in the US. And so we were speaking at the U.S. Play Coalition on what that experience was like, what the city really went through, what uh, Michael Jordan stepped in at one point to actually help make this happen. Um, and we were talking to what that experience is like and how important recreation for people with disabilities really is. Uh, so I, I was doing my story of just growing up with a disability. Where did I find play? Why was it so impactful? Um, playgrounds had not been on my radar at all. Uh, they were somewhere I really didn't go when I was growing up. It was somewhere that... Um, was really going to highlight everything that I did struggle with. If I had moved differently through the wood chips or if I um, needed to play with something in a little bit of a different way, the playground was always one of those places that were going to make that a little bit more challenging. Uh, so I'd spoke on play and recreation and landscape structures happened to be sitting in on my session and they invited me for a tour of the factory. And so I went and had the best time and was really blown away that this whole room's dedicated to like seesaws. And got a call from them later saying, you're hired. And I said, awesome. Um, I, I don't know what for, but I'm excited to figure this out. And it was a tremendous learning curve of just learning what was play about. What did I miss out on? There was a little bit of grief, but also just excitement for how we're changing the conversation and how people with disabilities are being invited in a, a more genuine way than ever across the world. Um, and so I, I got to hop in at the perfect time where we were riding on this momentum of just inclusion is the topic of the day. Mm. I love that. And I think it's amazing. <laughs> I think it's funny actually that like you had no idea that they were in the audience. It's like, you're just sharing your story and isn't it just, it makes, it makes it seem like it all fits together really nicely when like, you're just doing your own thing, sharing your own truth. And somebody else is like, we love you for that. Come work for us. <laughs> it was perfect. It absolutely was. And I had just wrapped up, um, I studied design in college and I actually wanted to do medical design because I'd grown up in the world of medicine and the hospitals um, and seeing all of these products that were designed for people with disabilities by people who didn't have disabilities. Um, mm. And so it was all of these assumptions made on what's best for us. Everything looked very medical. 
uh, where I felt the user voice was critical here. It was, we need to bring people with disabilities into this conversation to make that lived experience better. Um, and so it was really, like you said, of just that truth kind of all fit together. Of This was my goal. This is really what I wanted to do. Um, and I got to find a, not that medical design isn't meaningful, but I got to find this really niche spot where um, that that truth, that understanding, that, that desire for change got to be that much more impactful. Mm, I love that. Thank you for sharing your story. A little bit more. Thank so you. like, what does it mean for a playground to be truly inclusive because like how do you create spaces for everybody yeah. <laughs> like what does that actually look like um so i there's no right answer which i actually really love is that there's no cut and paste formula for a community to use it, it has to be what that fit is for a community um and i think an inclusive space really it's going to provide every single person who comes a just right fit of there's going to be something of any ability we can gravitate to we can play with we can truly immerse ourselves in. Um, and I think communities can really achieve that by making sure they're inviting their stakeholders. Make sure we're inviting parents who have kids with disabilities. Kids with disabilities, they're going to tell you what they want to do. They're going to be very adamant about it, in fact, um, about what's going to be that best fit for them. And you're going to find out in your community, maybe we do have a higher population of autistic users. Um, these are the things that would best support them. Um, we worked with a community out in Colorado. Uh, they're one of my favorites because I think they did a really good job at that. They, they brought in their parents, their kids, their stakeholders in the community. Uh, they said what works, what doesn't work, how do we add on this? Um, and they, they answered for it because they actually chose to keep engineered wood fiber. And we see a lot of inclusive playgrounds who decide to get rid of that. Uh, but they made that choice knowing that kids with autism come to the playground and like that texture. Um, so they educated themselves. They said, all right, this is going to be the best fit for our community. And we're going to respond with that. Um, and so I guess to answer your question of what does it look like, how do we answer for all, uh, it, it's, I guess it means something different for every community to, to fit as many users as possible. Mm -hmm. So it really goes back to like the public engagement process, knowing your community, talking with them, and, and also just hearing from them too. Um, I know that you had a story that you wanted to share about how um, somebody in a certain community had a request and a lot of times your company is not going to be the one that hears that request but it's pretty cool when it go gets that far up the chain do you want to yeah. share that story yeah that's my boy dash um he's just the coolest kid in the world he has the best dad jokes i've ever heard but uh we got connected with dash he's he was three years old at the time he had a muscular dystrophy still does um but Dash came to the table because his mom gave us a call one day and said, you know, I'm a local Minnesota parent. I keep trying to find a spot to take my kid to come play. Um, everybody in the community is telling me that we've got these ADA compliant playgrounds, but we get there and there's nothing for him to do. It's all wood chips. There's nothing fun for him to engage with. There's no pieces that he can take his wheelchair on. What are you guys doing about this? Uh, and so we brought her in and we had to have this conversation of we, we don't get to make those calls more often than not of what's going into a community what's actually going to be built, where it's going to go. Um, but this is what we are doing. And so we invited her to our educational process. She sat in and learned uh, what do we educate people on for inclusive play. Uh, we invited her to come tour the factory. Uh, and then more importantly, we invited them to come test product. Um, we just invited their their voices into our doors just to say, we know you are the people who, who your opinion matters most here. Of What's the experience like? Are you going to have fun? You have a child with a disability. Dash has a disability. What is this going to be? Um, and so suddenly Dash became this just very involved product tester. I mean, he wanted to check everything out and he had lots of opinions. He, uh, 
we just invented or created the new WeGo swing, which is an inclusive swing. I hate the term wheelchair swing because I think that dictates exactly who it's for. Um, and inclusive, it gets into that realm of this is for everybody. Uh, Dash was testing it out. He loved it. And he was having a big old time. And then he snapped. And a grown man had to walk over to him. And Dash said, this thing needs more swishy swashies. And the grown man had to write that down. Um, but that's that's the importance of just breaking in that user voice and connecting with, with people who need it and who have valuable opinions and who are going to make what we do more meaningful. Mm, I think that's, I think it's, amazing that you guys were able to bring them in to like not only educate but like let them be a part of that process on such a different level like I'm sure it's an experience that he's gonna remember for such a long time and clearly you have too like it's informs and it's like it becomes a very personalized experience and now he has this park that he helped create Sorry, my dog had feelings about that too. We were all so excited. But yeah, um, it, it's cool to see because they live uh, about 45 minutes from where we're located and headquartered at. And I'll get texts from them on random Saturdays that they've driven 45 minutes to go to the park that he got to be a part of. Because um, he got to be a part of from our, our prototypes all the way through to an actual product being made and in the ground and do the photo shoot for that and everything. So uh, whenever I see that they're at the park, especially that one, I'm just, I'm wowed of of what that impact meant to them and to us. I mean, I'm so glad they're my friend now. <laughs> right. That's awesome. Um, okay. So what does it mean for our parks and playgrounds to be like, truly inclusive? And like, are there certain principles or if, because I know from the outside, like as a mom, like I know certain things that can make it fun and inviting and, and all that. But like, I know it can get a little bit more complicated than that. Why don't you tell us about some of the theories that go into uh, truly inclusive design? Yeah. Um, so we we preach universal design is just a, a great set of standards to really look at. I mean, those are going to get into our principles of uh, make sure things are equitable. If it's not equitable, that it's flexible, that we have space to use it, that any information we may need, it's simple. It's intuitive, um, that we're not putting people uh, any additional energy expenditure that's not going to make them have more fun. I mean, we want kids to be active, obviously, but we don't want anybody to put in any undue effort that's going to take away from the play experience. Um, so it's having a conversation about all of those principles and what do they look like? How do they define our environment? Um, are we making sure that if we're creating a great example, um, it's looking at these principles and thinking about the pace in which people move. Uh, I might move a little differently in my wheelchair. I might move a little bit slower if I'm using my crutches, uh, but we want to create spaces that are just invitational of all and never going to make uh, anybody feel like the person with a disability is the obstacle here. Um, we want to make sure that there's plenty of room to move past each other, plenty of comfortable space to do so. Um, and that's going to dictate how comfortable environment is. It's our environment actually supporting our own abilities of, of making sure people aren't stigmatizing me for how I move or letting me feel negative for how I move. Um, and it just changes the conversation around disability when we can all move around and we can do that in an equitable way. Um, so it's taking a look at what's our environment like, how do we move through it, uh, and what is in it? Um, do we have a really sensory diverse space? So that's a, a really big conversation uh, around inclusion and play. It's just sensory diversity. It's um, kids with autism, kids with sensory processing disorder, uh, anybody really is practicing to build this sensory foundation. Um, we all need to really rely on our senses and that's going to help us build as people uh, and as we develop to really achieve our higher level activities. And so having a sensory diverse space, um, we never know what a child's going to gravitate to. 
Uh, think about it as a kid. I was a huge fan of sit and spins. I could sit on one of those bad boys for like 12 years if someone let me. Uh, but that was my sensory systems at work. We were craving that kind of motion. Um, and we never know what a kid's going to gravitate to. Uh, I loved sit and spins, but maybe my best friend would come to the park and really love swinging. Um, and for us to both be able to get to those experiences that we're craving, uh, that's an equitable space, an equitable environment. And we're both going to get those sensory benefits. Mm. Um, so we look at just equitable access. We look at what's there to do. Um, we want lots of climbing, different types of spinning. Swinging is a great benefit. Um, different levels of thrill, different levels of challenge. Uh, and that's going to answer for that best right fit for whoever's coming. Mm. One of the things I remember talking to you about in one of our last conversations is around how these playgrounds, well, the question I asked was, you know, when is a, a playground too risky? And you kind of corrected me on that. And would you like to tell us more about like why playgrounds are risky and like how do we kind of balance the safety and the perception of risk versus um, some of the rewards that come with some more challenging features? Yeah, absolutely. That was a good question though. Um, but uh, so we talk a lot about perceived risk on the play space. We want kids to, to feel like they're risking something that they're challenging themselves. Um, and, and fortunately for us, the way playgrounds are designed is they're gonna be safe. Um, everything is designed within compliance standards that uh, if there's a risk from falling off of a certain height, you have a certain amount of fall attenuation in the surfacing below you. The surface is gonna be pretty squishy. Um, so everything's designed within these confines that um, the spinners aren't going to go past a certain speed, that your fall heights are going to get to a certain height, and then you're going to be blocked from that. Uh, so anything that's going to put a child at a range that's a bit too dangerous, um, they're not going to really be able to get there based on place-based design and being compliant. Uh, but we want kids to still think they're getting that. They need those challenges. They need the adventure. They need the sense of risk, uh, because that's where we get our sense of mastery. If we're going up a climber and it's not immediately intuitive to us, and we know that while we're trying it, there might be a risk. We are climbing up this climber and we might slip. We might risk falling. Uh, and if we struggle with it, but keep working on it, once we eventually get to the top of that climber, um, that's that feeling of success. Uh, again, dog's excited about that one too. Um, so we need those perceived sensations of risk. We need those challenges uh, so we can be met where we're at and feel accomplished. Yeah, I love it. Um, and it is all good, I think, at I'm just glad my baby's not screaming in the background. It's it's a good day when that happens. But um, so let's talk about the kind of the dignity. I love this phrase that you've used around like the dignity of risk and the dignity of mistake. Um, I think definitely as a mom of a two-year-old, I'm constantly watching my child make mistakes all the time. It's very painful to watch. Um, but you say that there's dignity in this. Explain more. <laughs> there is. It is dignified. I mean, maybe it's not as dignified when we're two. I can't imagine I was very graceful. Then. Right. Um, so we want people to have this equitable access to risk and mistake. Um, I, I know growing up, especially with a disability, this is a group that's at risk for being kind of overcared for. Of, of we People are watching us. They see a disability. They don't want us to feel like we're ever putting things at risk. We, we shouldn't be allowed to make mistakes. People it's a group that is at risk for things being done for us. Um, and I know I've grown up with that and I'm speaking from a very true place, uh, but we need that chance to explore. We need to be able to learn how to take risks in our own environments because when we take risks, when we make those mistakes, when we're allowed to do so, we're gonna get that same level of learning. I mean, we deserve the same right to, to grow from our mistakes and take risks and uh, figure out what we can and can't do. 
Um, typically developing children have a lot of access to this. So they can try out the tallest climber. And if it doesn't work out, they've taken the risk, they made the mistake and they're learning from it. Uh, and we deserve a degree of that as well. I mean, every child really does of having that opportunity to take those challenges. Um, and so once we have that risk in place, once we have those perceived risks and adventure and, and challenge, uh, we want that to also graduate. Uh, we, we want a graduated challenge is a big part of play and a big part of inclusive play uh, is to be able to look at what's next. Uh, if I've mastered, um, maybe I've gone on one type of spinner and at first it felt too fast for me, but now I've practiced it and I've mastered it and I've gotten good at it. Uh, what's next? Is there a different challenge in a spinner? Is it going to be um, harder to make go? Does it require more coordination? Uh, is it going to be something that's a next level? And do I still get to experience um, the challenge that comes with it? Uh, so we want kids to be able to progress to the next best thing, take risks as they do so, and make mistakes, because that's where we get to figure that out when we're kids, if it's safe to do so, we're learning as we do it. And so that way, when we get to the age where making mistakes is a little more impactful, we're a little bit more ready for that mm -hmm. and have those skills that come with it. Mm -hmm. Right. And we're not as hard on ourselves when things don't work out because it's right. just part of the exactly. process. Exactly. I love it. Okay. So for those of you listening on the podcast, this may be harder to interact with or hear or understand. On the video, though, I thought it might be a good opportunity to share some of the photos and go through some of the parks that um, you've shared with me and just kind of talk and like lead people through some of these really cool features. Is that good yeah, with you? Absolutely. Right. Cool. So now I, you guys should be able to see my screen. We are going to walk through some amazing playgrounds that Landscape Structures has designed and manufactured. And here they are uh, live in, in cities across the country. Um, and so I just wanted Jill to jump on and to have a conversation around kind of the stories of some of these parks, but also to bring attention to some of the really unique features and amenities that you may want to consider in your own parks. So Jill, I'll let you kind of lead the way. Tell me where you want me to go and just, um, yeah, go ahead and take it away. Yeah. Um, so we, we manufacture the, the play pieces and then our sales reps uh, distribute these globally and work with customers just fitting the best design for their community. Um, what's going to meet those needs? What kind of colors do they want and all that fun stuff. Uh, so this is a park actually in North Dakota. And I really love this one. I, I chose this one in particular because there's so much jam packed into it. There's all kinds of rich climbing. There's a fun ramp structure. There's all sorts of all access pieces that don't require a transfer. Um, and so there's so much variety in there that meets a lot of different needs of just disability and, and wide range of users. Uh, and so starting with this one, it shows that ramp structure. Uh, we know inclusion um, when people started to think about people or play spaces for people with disabilities, they use a ramp, but how do we make that meaningful? What is a ramp gonna do? Is it gonna actually add to the play? Is it gonna make it fun? Um, and so we see here the ramps taking us to uh, this the sway fun. It's this big gliding piece that we can fit a chair on. We can fit multiple chairs on. A user in the wheelchair can actually uh, use that table that's in front of them to hold onto it and still make this thing go. Um, and I think that's a, a really big part of the conversation. We, we talked about just um, dignity of risk, but also participation. Of I want to go somewhere and be able to control what's around me. I want to be able to rock this thing. I don't want... Um, a lot of the times it's, it's, we're kind of up for whatever our caretakers want to do, um, where they take us, if they want to push us, what they want to help us with. Uh, and so growing up when I would have those moments of independence on autonomy, that's huge. 
Uh, that, that feels really remarkable to be, to be able to control my little environment. Uh, so this is a tremendous example of that. If you want to hop to the next one, you can carry right along. Uh, so this is our, our Billows line, but what I really liked about this was there's just so much sociodramatic play in here. Um, imaginative play is such a big part of growing up, of playing house, playing hot air balloon, running the ticket stand, uh, and just inviting people to play and create this little dramatic world. Um, that's where we figure out our rules, our roles. That's when we're connecting with people uh, and we're having a really good dialogue. And so testing this product out, I love that I get to be the product tester because I get to go hang out on this thing uh, while we're building it. And um, But those conversations, it's unique of uh, this doesn't have uh, wheelchair access, but how do we make it comfortable for if I'm transferring out of my chair, where do I go? What are the rewards? Am I still going to have a comfortable experience? Um, we want to include things that are going to entice kids to try them out, to explore what their bodies can do. Uh, the term wheelchair bound, it's so that is ancient news. We're not bound to this thing. It's not restrictive. This isn't like jail. Uh, this is a mobility device that's going to allow us to lead a full life and we can get out of it. And so something like this I love because it encourages us to jump on to be a part of play. Mm, I love that. We can go on to the next one. Um, this is our we go around. This is one of my favorites is just because I, again, I was a spinning fiend growing up. And so it's, it's got a lot of sensory play in it, but it's that accessible merry-go-round where I can park wherever I want. I can get in the seat. Um, there's actually something on the interior of that where I can help propel and make this thing go. Uh, but I, what I really love in particular is we have kids here who all look pretty typically developing, but front and center, we have this image of a girl in a wheelchair. Uh, and so I, I really love that, especially in this day and age, we're seeing inclusion more normalized. Um, we can see pictures of people with different abilities than our own pretty frequently. Um, Barbie just released a line. I have a Barbie that looks like me now. It's actually in a wheelchair. And I think mm -hmm. that is beyond cool that we're starting to see imagery and, and inclusion just everywhere. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and this is a, a friendship swing. But what I love about this is this isn't only great for our people with disabilities. If, if I have a weaker core or can't necessarily propel a swing on my own, this is great for a friend or a companion to help me. Um, but this is also going to encourage its users. It, it does take coordination. It does take a degree of social play. And kids need that. We need things that are going to promote that and make it really rewarding. Hmm. And this one, um, we, I just like how like well-coordinated they have this picture. That's why I really <laughs> chose it. But in the background, what we see is a really rich climbing experience. Uh, this is great for every child. This is great for kids who need a little bit of practice. But it's specifically building our motor planning. Um, it's building those interior senses of figuring out where we're at in space. How do we balance? Where do we need to move our bodies to keep traversing this thing? Because uh, it's not immediately intuitive. That's a climber that we're going to have to think to figure out how to use. Uh, but things like that, we want to include that for not only your typically developing children, but for kids with disabilities as well. They need that practice. Um, so we can create a really rich, inclusive space with climbing still. Uh, it does not always have to be ground level components. There can be lots of fun, thrilling climb in there, too. I love it. That looks like a lot of fun to me too. <laughs> right. Um, this one I am going to stew on a little bit. Uh, so this is the, the WeGo swing that Dash was a part of that so much went into, but it's that accessible swinging sensation. And uh, a lot of this, uh, so in the market, we've got wheelchair swings. And again, I don't love that terminology because I think it's very, um, it dictates who it's for. Uh, but an accessible swing, more often than not, a lot of the times you see them communities get really, really excited about putting a wheelchair swing in. 
Uh, but if that it truly accommodates a wheelchair user, more often than not, it actually has to be fenced off because uh, it's not considered safe. It's that if you have a, a kid on a wheelchair on this big steel thing and someone walks in front of it, they're going to get hurt. Hmm. Um, so more often than not, the swing itself has to be fenced off. It has to be uh, guarded by the park and rec department. They've got to be able to give you the code to get the key to get on the swing. Uh, I did that once, went through the whole process, and this little boy came up to me and stuck his head through the bars, and he said, ma'am, I don't think you're supposed to be on that. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, literally, I'm the one it's for, but okay. Right. Uh, so we took that on as a design challenge of how do we achieve the swinging sensation, but make sure it's inclusive. Make sure that it's not putting people with disabilities to the side in the sideshow, but actually a part of the play environment. Uh, so it was a big design challenge. This had been in the works for a while. Um but this meets those needs of it's safe. It can be integrated on the play space. Both parties can face each other. We can fit more than one user on there. Uh, we can all help propel and make it go from the inside or the outside. Um, and so it's that same sensation of that we're getting with swinging, but we're just making it inclusive. And so I think that was just an incredible a design barrier to overcome of just we're here. We can do it. We can still be a part of swinging. Absolutely. And great shade, too. I mean, yeah, love that shade. Shade's a big part of it. Thank you for bringing that up. It is, People with disabilities yeah. are at greatest heat risk. So where we can include shade, it's going to make it more comfortable to stay a little bit longer, as we see here on this structure as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, this is a pretty cool play space because uh, you can see they approached it differently. They got rid of the ramp structure altogether. Um, this is all topography. It's all freestanding play. Uh, there's not one big composite structure but there's still so much play value in here. We've got our swinging, we've got our spinning, we've got uh, sensory play, lots of climbing. Um, and if you switch to the next image, we can kind of zoom in on some of that sensory play. Uh, but this is pretty cool. I like showing this because it's it's one of those community pieces. We've actually jumped now, we're in Spokane, Washington, um, but this wall was created as kind of a, a through tunnel, something to explore, lots of different textures, uh, but it's all this nod to Spokane. They have a, a famous river that goes through the Spokane area. And so they've capitalized on the bridges in there. They've capitalized on some of the fish that you can find. Uh, and there's lots of different things to explore on this wall that kids who are going to be sensory seeking that want that texture play, want to figure out something something does, explore cause and effect. Um, there's little things you can spin. I'm looking at it. I believe that turtle actually moves. Uh, and on the other side, I think there's kaleidoscope colors, lots of little critters in there to find. Um, so it's this community staple piece that's like, hey, this is everything that is Spokane and this little tiny wall that's going to be a play element as well. Uh, so it kind of is a testimony to just local area, which I think is awesome. That is awesome. And I love it looks like the artwork continues on the ground. Oh, yeah, it totally does. Like, how creative is that? That is so cool. All right. Um, and similar for this piece of uh, for kids who might want to just explore sensory play in a different way. Um, this is a sensory wall. It's got lots of texture play with the marbles. Uh, it's got our little spinny wheels. If I spin this, what happens next? We can kind of see our cogs over there. Um, it's got musical play, visual uh, things that are going to encourage us to explore. Just lots of sensory rich play all packed into this one area. Um, and interestingly enough, we actually get a lot of feedback from the texture of the wall itself. Uh, mm -hmm. We see all those bumpy ridges on top. And we had a kid once with autism who could tell us exactly how many bumps there were. Um, and so it's very interesting that kids are going to gravitate towards different aspects of this. It, it's going to be something uh, I think about growing up, how much we love to explore a space. We wanted to find everything that was in there. We wanted to know it. Uh, and this is one of those things that kids are going to seek out 
the textures of it, the sounds of it, the the visual play. Um, so just a, a great exploratory piece. Very cool. And then I think we've got a great overview here. Yeah, so we can see a lot of it, how, again, it comes together of it is all of this freestanding play. Uh, we can see on the left there with those little ball, or balls on the hill. Um, that's climbing play. It's still encouraging our climbing sensation, uh, but just a lot packed into this space. And is that a sand pit too? Yeah, and they actually have the sand table with it, which I love. Um, a wheelchair, typically, that's at height for a wheelchair to roll up to or underneath so they can still get engaged in sand play uh, if they don't want to get out of their chair. So, Very cool. All right. What about this one? Oh, yeah. Uh, so this is the Super Netflix, and um, this was one I got to crash test dummy for. Uh, and I think it was really, really cool as we, we got to have a lot of higher conversations about making something like this inclusive of how do we make it comfortable for if a user is moving in a different way or at a different pace, how are we going to achieve or still make sure that they can participate? Um, because challenge and height, that's kind of a sensation that's it's kind of being brought to the forefront of disability, especially of how do we get there? How do we get to experience those thrills that other kids did? That goes back to that dignity of risk um, that we had that conversation on earlier. Uh, but something like this, we had a really in-depth chat on what's it going to take to get to the top. And I think actually if you scroll to the next photo, well, we'll actually keep going to the one with the guy transferring because that'll show this a little bit better. So the reason this is at the base of the structure, but the way this was created was the belt that actually goes in that he's climbing onto. Um, it's wide and it goes up in a spiral all the way to the top. So I think... Uh, if you switch to the next one, you can see a little bit of that. Um, but something like this, this is what the pathway is to get all the way to the top of this structure. Uh, it's wide enough. There's all these plates that we can sit on and regain our stability if we are moving uh, frontwards or backwards or if we're crawling. Uh, but it's going to make that sensation equitable that we can crawl, we can get to the top. And a lot of conversation went into stability of if I move up this thing, am I comfortable while doing so? Uh, is there somewhere to put my arms for me to rest? What's my experience going to be like? Mm. Um, and a lot of conversation was had if he's transferring here, uh, and where's the space to do that? Do we have a cutout where there's no cables? There's going to be less things in our way. Is that a comfortable height, comfortable tension for us to get out of our chair, our mobility device, and get onto this structure? Uh, and then I think if you go to the next or picture, you can see where he's at the bottom now. I mean, he made it oh, through, wow. he's gone down the slide. He, he's had that experience of the super, super tall slide, which I remember that was always, it was like the forbidden fruit. Like I know the slide was there and I always wanted to go to it, but it was never a super easy pathway to get there. Mm -hmm. um, just because the time and space it takes to create a structure that takes you to the top. Uh, whereas this one, it answered for that, which I thought was just absolutely awesome. That's amazing. I love seeing the journey of him like approaching it and figuring out how to use it and then finally getting down to the bottom of the slide. Yeah, right. That's and that's that's that access that all kids have. If they go to a structure, they figure out how am I going to use this thing? Then um, it takes the problem solving, but then there's the reward. So that's that's the cool part of inclusive play. Right. Cool. And I think you've got just one more for us. Yep. Um, so last one, this is the latest and greatest, this kooky thing. Uh, and I just, I love this. It's obviously a jumble. There's no right way to play on this thing. Um, there's <laughs> no one route that you need to take to get through it. Uh, but we got to be a part of this conversation. My husband's in a wheelchair as well. 
And we got to test out of how do you move through this space? Where do you need additional support? Uh, I crawl everywhere. He scoots everywhere. So he's going backwards. Um, and he has a little bit more upper arm strength. And so he could do some of the monkey bars, whereas I would rather uh, propel myself upwards and climb through some of the more strenuous routes. Um, but that's meeting us where we're at. That's meeting however we play. And that's what it's doing for typically developing kids as well. Uh, and so this, it is jumbled. It's going to take a lot of problem solving. It's going to take a lot of risk. Um, and it's providing that, that unprescribed route, that graduated challenge of if I've mastered one route, what's next? Uh, and lots of different ways to go through this, but also cozy spaces. There's lots of hideaways in this thing for if a kid does get a little bit too overwhelmed, there's still somewhere for them to go. Um, and my favorite, favorite, favorite part of this picture is you can kind of see it. There's a wheelchair in the middle there and I have no earthly idea where its owner is. Like that's <laughs> awesome to me of like, he's out, he's enjoying it. He's checking this thing out. Uh, and that's what equitable play is all about. So I love ending on that one because things like this are even being brought into the conversation of how do we make them inclusive? Uh, and that's incredible to me is that people with disabilities are being invited to something just as wild as this creation and in a meaningful way. Mm. I love that. I think this is so modern and cool. And like from the outset, you just look at it and you're like, oh, that's a really cool design. But for like the some uh, someone's typical experience, they might not be able to see all of those different details and the thought and intention that went into the planning process and testing it out and you know getting everyone's input. So it's really cool to see something like this that's obviously very visionary come to life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is a cool one to watch evolve. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for walking us through that. I think it added a lot to the conversation. Um, and I would love to just kind of end on maybe any advice that you might have for parks and recreation agencies who know that maybe their playgrounds are on in need of um, change or like adapting or being more inclusive, what advice would you give to them? I would say um, it, it's never too late to start and every step is meaningful. Um, of even if you're just looking at your parks and you're saying, okay, well, we don't have the budget to make this big overhaul, but maybe we can add a piece. Maybe we can make our sidewalks wider. Maybe we can uh, put a, even an accessible porta body. That's a step further. That's a step further to inviting people to the space and saying, we want you to be here. Um, I think that's my biggest kick lately is just the power of being invited. Uh, and if a park and rec agency even starts with those small steps, starts with education of saying, what do we need to do next? What's going to fit uh, our community? How do we make it meaningful? We want to start taking the courses, learning about inclusion. Um, wherever you're at in your journey, it's going to be relevant and it's going to be appreciated. Uh, and so people are going to really want to be a part of that conversation. They're going to want to see it and they're going to feel really, really proud of their community when they're invited. And that's kind of the power that Parks and Rec people, anybody really who's invested in their parks has, is just that power of inviting everybody to a communal space and expecting them to bring their vitality. Uh, we want them to participate in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. um, so that's my advice is, is start wherever you're at and, and trust the journey, I guess. Love it. I love it. Well, Jill, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really appreciated all of your insights and wisdom and experience and really look forward to connecting with you again sometime soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having right. me. Thanks. Thank you all for listening to this episode with Jill. If you want to check out the whole video with 
playground images. I've linked a link down below. A big thank you for Landscape Structures for sponsoring this series. I am so, so grateful for their support and to keep the wheels turning on the podcast. So um, thank you guys and hope you have a lovely holiday and we'll see you again next week, next Thursday. Thanks so much. Until next time, let's talk parks.